Through the course of this podcast, we've been kept apart by hundreds of miles. Me in mm-hmm. Tennessee, you in Hollywood. That's true. Then we were kept apart through less miles. You in Knoxville and me in Dandridge, which is about 40 minutes away. Sure. Then, for a brief moment, we were kept apart by nothing at all, because we both lived in the same town, fucking finally. And then we were kept apart by a global pandemic. Now we're both vaccinated, we're back, we're ready to go, and we're kept apart by automotive malady once again. (laughs) God damn it, we were so close to recording in person again for the first time in like over a year, and once again, these damn old cars, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, they do not. They do not make them like they used to. And my car is still not repaired, and I could not procure a ride for the several hours it makes to takes to make the podcast. So we're doing it uh, as we've done it throughout the pandemic. Uh, it's all right. It, you know, it's fine. The quality of the show's not dipping. It just means we're not broing out, unfortunately. You know what? It's really one of those things that we're used to it by now, but it don't mean that I've got to like it, God damn it! No, I'm with you. I also do not like it. Uh, I, I did this week get to go work out with my homeboy, Flying Brian. Uh, it was Flying Brian and Stunning Steve, the Dollywood brunettes. This is good. Uh, and it was awesome, and it really boosted my, my mood, and I really was excited to come see you. So I can't wait until next week. Man, we're going to be back. We're going to be better than ever. Leaner, trimmer, uh-huh. more us. COVID-free. <laughs> Everything is going to be good. We'll be right back on it next week, I'm sure. But for now, we are here recording long distance once again to talk about Little Shop of Horrors. And, of course, if you want to get straight to the movie discussion, there's a timestamp for you in the podcast description. But you're going to miss us hanging out, catching up, shooting the shit. We both had some pretty busy weeks and watched a lot of movies and stuff. We want to talk about all those things as well as give you a riveting preview palace segment as always. But if you're being too hasty like one of them hobbitses, there's a timestamp for you. You can check that out. Be hasty. That's vital advice, not Mm. just pretty words, (laughs) Treebeard. Thanks for showing up, Treebeard. Yeah, it's always good to see him. How you been doing this week, man? I've been great. I've I've, I've been in good mood, been uh, really back in the flow of working out and um, getting my ass kicked by them weights. It's awesome. I'll tell you what, man. It's one of those things that, you know, through the entire pandemic, uh, as I said on the show, I was working out here at home doing those bully juice workouts on YouTube and stuff. Right. And it's great. I'm massively appreciative for all the fitness professionals on YouTube that take the time to make those videos and yeah. uh, have really helped me out a lot and have helped me work out for a longer period of time than I ever have before. I've never worked out for a year before in my wow. entire life. Awesome. But, you know, after we got back from our vacation, which I'll talk about here in a second. Our vaccines, they're in full swing. They're ripping and roaring. I was really wanting to take that vaccine for a test drive, and I got myself back into the gym as well. And I'll tell you this, them weight's heavy. They They are. They are. (laughs) Yeah, I was humbled pretty quickly. And then I was like, actually, I'm fine with this. Uh, I don't care. I I don't care about vanity lifting or trying to reach a big number anymore. I just want to get in the gym to get those endorphins going and feeling better. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's no reason for us old men to go into the gym and hurt ourselves with big old nope. weights. Mm-mm. We could just nope. lift them little ones. 
Hey, yeah, this is me exactly. over here with these little ones. They need attention too. Just because they're little tiny weights don't mean they don't need love. I say this, and Brian and I, of course, were lifting very heavy weights. <laughs> <laughs> I, obviously, uh, my my friend Brian, he, he's a big boy. Uh, he got them muscles, and uh, I guy. knew when I was gonna go work out with him, I was gonna get my ass kicked, and I did, and it was great. I'll tell you what, man. When you go in there and you pick up them heavy things off the ground and point them towards the ceiling, yeah. It makes you sleep good at night. It, it does. Wears you out and you get a good oh, old night's sleep. It's the best. I've missed That's that like so much. That's actually one of my favorite things about it. You know, just like getting good and wore out. Yep. Really does make you sleep like a damn rock at night. It's a good thing, man. Getting some fitness. We're just getting jacked. We're going to be jacked and lovely before long. <laughs> That'll sure. be us. Yeah, sounds right. We'll just start talking about fitness the whole time. Oh, yeah. That's right. You've been watching anything good? Uh, I watched so much. Because we, um, Ben, had a little vacation th- this that week. That I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we took a whole week off, so I have seen so much stuff, and I'll try to just get through a few of them real quick, because there's a couple Same I really want to talk about. I got a big old long list of things, so I'll try to hurry through mine as well. All right, so Neon Brainiacs uh, did an episode on Altered States, and mm-hmm. i uh, that's a movie I've never seen. Never seen it either. It's a Ken Russell movie, and I've heard so much about it, and it seems like a movie as someone who's a, uh, a, an enthusiast of the uh, hallucinogens that I would have seen a, a million times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely got the hallucinogen qualities, and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a visual oh, yeah? feast, uh, worth a watch. Go listen to the Neon Brainiacs episode. They're good boys. They good are good boys. boys. And uh, I also watched uh, a movie called Marrowbone, which has a great cast and is it looks good. I, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It has Anya Taylor-Joy in it. While I was watching it, I looked down at the tattoo that I got recently, which is the, the final scene of the witch and realized yeah. that technically I have a, a, a living breathing person like on my arm That's and it freaked true. me out you for do. a moment. <laughs> hmm. It just made me feel gross for a second. And then I was like, well, you can't, it's not like her face. That's <laughs> like, true. It's just, I mean, for outline. all we know, it might be a, it might be a butt double. Sure. Sure. There we go. That, that maybe. You might be walking around the Hollywood Hills one day and run into some pretty young actress, and she goes, "Hey, that's my butt on your arm." <laughs> I'm sorry, you man. Know? I didn't fully think it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Marrowbone, uh, that's worth a watch. It's it's also got um, uh, the the older brother from Stranger Things. Uh, Will's older brother is in it. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth a watch, I think. Uh, another one that. I'll talk about it real briefly, but everybody needs to see it, and I, I, I'd love to cover it on the show sometime. Lake okay. Michigan Monster. Oh, somebody recommended that on the uh, yeah, Facebook group, a couple group, people right? have. Yeah, yeah, a couple people have recommended it, and I watched it, and man, it's, it is the best $2 you'll spend renting it on YouTube. Is it good? Like, the poster of it looked really ridiculous. Like, it looked yeah, like a silly ridiculous. version of the lighthouse or something. Yep, that's what I'd say. Silly version of the lighthouse, but not exactly oh, that. It is. It's great. It is so absurd, so silly. It's exactly the type of thing that I wanted to watch this week, which is what led me, after watching Lake Michigan Monsters, what led me to uh, really seek out some funner, more uh, childlike more things. More funner mm-hmm. things. <laughs> Funlier. Funlier things. You know how I like funly things. <laughs> um. So I watched the Paddington movies, finally. 
Okay, I have never watched these, but I have heard endlessly that they are like one of the biggest delights about being alive. Yep, you're missing out, and you should uh, fix uh, that. Because really? what a delight. What a sweet little boy that Paddington is. He's the cutest damn bear out there. Uh, he's so polite. And uh, yeah, it's just surprising how everything plays out. And, and it's so cute. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really had a great time. And Paddington 2 may be uh, way better than Citizen Kane, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like one of the highest rated movies ever on like Rotten Tomatoes, right? Not the Citizen Kane. I mean, Citizen Kane is a gorgeous movie, etc. blah, blah, blah. But um, Paddington 2 is fun. It's gotta be fun. less cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's way less cute. Yeah. Paddington 2 is fun. It's cute. Uh, Brendan Gleeson is adorable in it. it. It's, you gotta check it out. I'm in. I'm in. Now, I'm going to overlap with you because I know you watched these movies. That's true. We had a couple little overlaps this week. Uh huh. You recommended to me Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which was one that I had already like heard great things about on like Comedy Bang Bang and, and stuff. And I, I was psyched to see it already. When, and you told me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I need to watch that. So, watched it. Boy. That is a visual feast. It is so fun and absurd yes. and silly and also like really positive in a lot of ways. I, I yep. really enjoyed it. I love it, dude. We watched it one night while we were at the beach and like, you know, it's the kind of thing where you're at the beach, you're on vacation. You don't want to watch Citizen Kane or something like that. You want something fun and bright and colorful. And uh, we had heard that that movie was really stupid and ridiculous and absurd and that it kind of flew over a lot of people's heads, I guess, just because it was so fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very weird. It, it reminds me, like, you know, the type of humor you get out of, like, Lonely Island or, or like, Anchorman or something. Yep. But, but, like, way... Yeah, I'd say Lonely Island's probably the closest because they're also re really generally pretty positive but it, it gets like so into the positive that it gets like even more fun because it's like yeah. everybody's having a good time. I, I enjoyed it so much. It's anything for any time for any reason. It's like I would say that it's somewhere in between. Yeah, like Hot Rod and Anchorman and like the Stupids. Yeah. <laughs> and it it's just like one of the right. best summertime movies ever because it's like always super bright and colorful and beachy and stuff. It looks like a live-action cartoon. Like, it's yeah. so bright that it looks like an actual like live-action cartoon somehow. And what is with the decision for them to play their parts as, like, 80s moms? Like, why it. are they 80s moms <laughs> yeah. for no reason? And they're so fucking perfect. Like, their outfits and everything. It's like, oh, yeah, our moms have those in their closets, like, right now. They just look like 80s moms. And ja Jamie Dornan is so fucking cute in it. Like... You know, at, the, at first, he's just, like, not saying anything or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then he, like, confesses his crush to the, the evil woman and whatnot. And then he's just, like, drinking and sad with Barb and Star. Like, I just loved that whole progression of his character. It's so good. an awesome movie. Highly recommend. Apparently, too, I was reading online that, like, during that just out of fucking nowhere, like, song that he sings in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. For one, that's actually him singing. Oh, wow. And also, too, like, the thing with him, like, ripping his shirt open wasn't originally in the script or anything. He just thought that that would be cool. 
And he did that with a non tearaway shirt. Like he just did that what? on the spot with a regular like polo shirt. So that guy's a fucking beast, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but speaking of his shirts, the, there's a shirt he's the wearing. Best. It's like a white shirt that has like yep. blue fish and, and orange, orange fish. fish. I immediately yes. this is the only time it's ever happened when I'm watching a movie. I immediately tried to find it to buy it. Because I it? love no. I found out the uh that it's a J. Crew uh, design and J yeah. Crew has some that look like it, but it's not the exact same. But that's actually I'm going to order one. <laughs> but yeah. it's actually better probably that I don't get the white because I can't wear white clothes because I'm sloppy as shit. How do people wear white clothes? I don't I do know. Not understand, man. <laughs> I see people like going out to dates and going into a restaurant, and people wearing like white shirts or white pants, and I'm like, man, How? you are bold. Very bold. You are bold. Yeah. How are you mm-hmm. doing it? I once went oh, swimming in white shorts. Ooh. I don't recommend it. I mean... They were not swim trunks, and you could see everything when I got out. Count there, me it, in. This was a literal moment where a mother shielded her ch- child's eyes. <laughs> it was very embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I definitely recommend that movie. If you're in the mood for something just absurd... And, you know, light and fun, which I think is something that we definitely all need from time to time. I got to recommend Barb and Star. It was a fucking delight. I loved it so much, man. It also took me forever to realize that, like, the bad, well, not bad guy, bad lady uh-huh. was also being played by Kristen Wiig. I oh, didn't recognize her didn't? at all. <laughs> I, I think it took me a second because mm-hmm, she has, yeah. like, the weird teeth. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, really, really like that one. Another one that we we watched uh, around the same time: The Mitchells versus the Machines. Man, you watched it like before me, and you had told me what a fucking delight that it was. And we decided that we would watch it. I think it was actually our last night at the beach. We watched that movie while we were eating some fantastic to go fine dining food. Yeah, and it is just a goddamn delight. It's on Netflix right now. It's an animated feature. Um, who made it? It's it's somebody that I know. Um, it, it the the guy the guy wrote on uh Gravity Falls and I can't remember his name. Uh, it, it's great though. I mean the the animation, the story. It was so fucking good. The animation was really unique. It was super like like I don't know. I think one of the texts that you sent me said like within the first five minutes of the movie you were like crying and laughing. Yep. <laughs> totally get it yep. and i know exactly the part that you're talking about where it is like very um yeah very emotional and tender-hearted at times it'll definitely tug on the old heartstrings but at the same yeah. time it's really funny and really stupid at times too man i fucking loved it yeah great cast as well abby jacobson and uh oh god the dad is uh, kenny powers damn it <laughs> yeah yeah uh my uh, rudolph is the mom uh yeah just just overall a really awesome film Damn it, what is his fucking name? <laughs> Danny McBride. Danny McBride. Holy shit, man. Damn, that was going to drive me insane. <laughs> yeah, definitely recommend watching that one. It was a really, really good time seeing that flick. Yeah, we went to the beach last week, went out to Oak Island, North Kakalaki, which is kind of around the Wilmington area. Mm-hmm. Packed the whole fam into the car. We We took both dogs with us, which I was really... not excited about traveling, you know, like seven hours away in a car with a three-month-old puppy. Right. But little old turkey boy, he did such a great job. That turkey turkey is a good old boy. He did a good job. What a good boy. No problems at all, man. And uh, we had ourselves a good time, but it was a little bit 
It was a little bit cool at the beach. It's not quite, you know, beach season yet. And we had a little bit of a cold spell kind of coming through the southeast. So we had a day or two where we spent it mostly inside because it was cool or rainy or whatever. But that's okay. If you have a bad day at the beach, even if you're inside, that's on you, buddy. That's your fault. That's true. It's, man, uh, on our honeymoon, it rained a good bit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can find awesome things to do, and it still smells great, and it's gorgeous. It's just, yep. I mean, a, a thunderstorm at the beach, awesome. It's rad. Pretty awesome. A lot cooler than a thunderstorm at home, I'll tell you that. For sure. So we did have time to watch a bunch of movies. Oh, what you watched? All right. When we got there, and we were unpacking and trying to eat some pizza and stuff like that as we were unpacking our bags, we put on a movie that was familiar but fun. We checked out. Book Smart, which I've talked about before on the show. Right. It's great, dude. That movie's fucking funny. It's really easy in your memory to go, oh, it's just, you know, super bad, but with girls instead of guys. It's actually a lot different movie. Yeah, I couldn't remember what you, it was Book Smart was until you just said that. Yes. Yeah, I liked Book yeah. Smart. I'll give it. It's really, really fun, really funny. Enjoy that one a lot. We also watched, in my opinion, a very underrated pirate movie. That came way before the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and stuff. It's got one Gina Davis. I'm talking about <laughs> Cutthroat What? Where? Island. Okay. Big fan of that one, huh? I mean, I'm not going to say I'm like a huge fan, but I think it's an <laughs> underrated Rennie Harlan uh, jam. And it's pretty fun. And dude, the sets and stuff like that are really pretty insane. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Um,. I'd, I'd have to rewatch it, which it, is it one of those super long pirate movies? It's kind of long, but it's not as long as those other pirate movies. Yeah, it's just one of those, like, I don't know that I'll ever get back to. Because if I didn't like it as a kid, it seems like, how am I going to like it as an adult? I don't know, man. You might be surprised. Who knows? I might be. I might be. I might have. You know how kids are, like. You just have a mood because you have diarrhea or something, but you don't remember true. you had diarrhea. You just remember you mm-hmm. didn't like that thing. That's true, man. You used to not like girls, neither. You said they have cooties, and we were in college, and I said, Steve, the girls don't have the cooties, and you're like, I don't know. I guess I'll try one out. Yeah, huh. Let's be honest, though. You probably did have cooties because you're a boy. That is true. I, I think cooties do come. It's just different cooties, though, right? Pretty sure. Is there a cootieologist who listens? Mm, yeah, we need you guys to, to give us an email here. We <laughs> so need some insights on these cootie anybody, problems. Anybody know how cooties work? And how, mm. does the circle, circle, dot, dot actually work? Because I got that, you know, several times. I feel like I'm cootie free. <laughs> cootie free since 93. <laughs> what else you watch? We also did watch ourselves a couple of other pirate movies, namely... Mm-hmm. The Pirates of the Caribbean 1, 2, and 3. And I'll, I'll say this, man. The first one, still a damn delight. Uh-huh, it's yeah. still just a fun time, magical romp of a movie that's based on a Disney ride. What? How did you make a movie out of that? Uh, I just pay, paid people a lot of money, probably. Ah, uh, that'll yeah. do it. Yeah, that yeah. works pretty much every time. <laughs> 2 and 3. Uh, it's been a really long time since I watched those. It'll be a really long time before I watch them again. <laughs> Steve, they're not good. They're not. I saw. I think I saw both of them in the theater, and I, I did, don't yeah. remember either of them at Dude, all. same. There was so many things, especially in that second movie, where I was like, 
I don't actually remember what this is about. Yeah. Like, I remember parts of it, but I couldn't tell you how the movie starts. I couldn't tell you how it nope. ends. Same with the third one. It's like, there's so much just super drug out, stupid shit in those, man. Like, there's that scene. You remember there's that scene where they're fighting on that island inside of that wheel that's, like, rolling? Yes. It's yeah, straight which up, is like, a half cool an hour. Scene, but, like, why? Yeah, it's forever. And then you've also got all that stuff where um, fucking... Johnny Depp is like the king of that island that's worshiping right as a god worshiping him as a god and stuff and it's just like why why the fuck is this in the movie it's like <laughs> half an hour the movies are so fucking long dude they are and in that third one don't they like all double cross each other like a million times to the point where it's like I don't even care anymore yeah. who's on whose yeah. side pretty much man ah uh. I don't know what the fuck happened. It's like the first one, there was so much stuff where they were like, you know, digging into like subtle, tiny things that were in the original ride and crafting a story out of it. It's like they made really a lot out of a little and it was very cool. And then the second and third ones are just like these crazy fantasy fucking <laughs> monster yeah. movies. So it gets bad, wild. dude. It gets wild. I've never seen the, there's a fourth one, right? There's a fourth one and a fifth one. A fifth one? What? <laughs> I think, or maybe the fifth one's coming out or something. Oh, why? I just don't care. I'm I'm kind of checked out, honestly. So, yeah, first one's still really good, though. Um, we also watched a movie of a play that we are way late to the party on, partially my fault here, because I'll tell you what, man, things that don't typically interest me. Let me break down maybe a top three. Are you ready? Okay. American history, not really interested. Okay. Musicals, not really my thing. Hip-hop music, not typically my go-to. Uh-huh. And that's why we put off watching Hamilton for so long. Okay. So I was going into it really skeptical, thinking, like, these are two, uh, three things that I'm not really all that into. How could this possibly be good? It's really fucking good. You're big fan. I can't even describe how it makes sense. It really, really does all fucking come together and work, dude. Because here's the thing, like, whenever you're doing a musical and your characters are singing their lines at each other and they're telling a story through song and stuff, to me it always ends up super, super trite because you're having to try to frame your words inside of a measure of music and fit a melodic contour and a melody and stuff, and it's usually really forced and really lame. But... Putting this whole thing together as more of a, a hip-hopera, if you will, where all of the music in it is, is hip-hop based, it really fucking works. It's amazing. I I don't have any interest in seeing it. I didn't either, but dude, seriously, if you watched it, you'd get it. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I, I mean, you know I hate musicals and stuff, which yeah. is funny considering you're sitting here talking about Little Shop. Like, I usually don't like musicals at all this really really did surprise me it was very very fucking cool i kind of hate when lynn manuel miranda rap like every time i've seen him do it it's bad you know, he said himself that he's the weakest performer in the whole thing like he said before where he's like yeah he's like everybody's way better than me i'm trying to struggle to keep up with them so <laughs> i get it but no it's cool okay all right i yeah i i'm always very slow to go to any musical uh uh i but I was won over by Chicago. 
and I love uh, so many other musicals, so I, I may very well get into it. I'll have to give it a try sometime. I think you'd be surprised, man. I think you'd be surprised. And, um, yeah, after we got back, we've had time to watch a couple of other things. We got back and had a little weekend time there. So we watched The Flintstones, which features oh. one Rick Moranis and America's dad, John Goodman. John Goodman. That's a fun, silly movie, man. I, I don't think I'd ever seen it before. I saw yeah. it in the theater. I remember being so excited for it because, um, you know, uh, I loved Rick Moranis and John Goodman. I think I've said before, I, I was super excited about arachnophobia because of John Goodman. As a kid... John, you're right. Like John Goodman was like, oh, that's like dad. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Fun anything movie. he was in, I yeah, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I I remember uh, Rosie O'Donnell doing a great job as Betty. Oh, the casting and stuff is just ridiculously perfect, and the set design and everything is absolutely nuts. And they actually did like tons of practical stuff. Like they did some you know CGI Dino and stuff that didn't look great, but. All the practical stuff looked so fucking good, man. Really fun movie. And um, we also watched a movie called Mainstream the other night. It was one that uh, Kate had seen some trailers and stuff for, and they were showing it over at Central Cinema, but we missed their showing of it. And so we decided to rent that thing and check it out. It's got uh, Maya Hawk in it. Okay. It's got Andrew Garfield and uh-huh. one a couple of the Spider-Mans. Of the parts. Yeah, yeah. It's got like Johnny Knoxville's in there for a second. Jason Schwartzman is in it a little bit. And are you familiar with the the flick? Have you seen anything about no. it? No. No, I don't know anything it's about it. It's one this. of those things that like on paper sounds really awesome because it's all about like kind of like YouTube and stuff and some people that are trying to like really hit it big on YouTube and streaming and all that jazz and uh-huh. it all kind of like grows way big and the influence gets crazy powerful and it corrupts people and blah blah blah. It's like kind of Chuck Palahniuk on the surface. All right. I, I didn't really like it very much. It was way dark and way heavy and like, I don't know, man. It just seemed to be like a lot of kind of try hard kind of stuff to me. Like a lot of it seemed very forced and very like on the nose. Like how how it would be if like, you know, I wrote a movie when I was 17. It probably turned out about like that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't really like it. Not subtle. Eh, I don't, didn't I really just enjoy it. I don't know how much dark, heavy stuff is going to hit with people throughout the next few months i just don't want to watch it like that's why i watched paddington that's why i was like well i'll watch this new cartoon i'll watch barb and star like i'm feeling better i don't want to even think about feeling bad yep yep i totally totally agree i think that over the next couple months as you know hopefully more and more the world starts getting vaccinated and and opening its doors and stuff like that i think that we're gonna see a lot of a lot of focus on fun. I think that we're going to have like, you know, a summer full of like Bruno Mars singles that are just fucking <laughs> fun songs. Like, I think that legit, it's going to be like, everybody just wants to have a good time. Right. And I don't think, I don't think, for example, Billie Eilish is going to have the hit of the summer. I think she probably will. She's, she's she very probably talented. Will, she could easily do something. <laughs> uh, that, that bad guy video was fun. That's true. That's true, man. Uh, yeah. I, I, man, I, yeah, I think just being out in the world, even like, you know, just trying to stay away from people, et cetera, but still like being out, seeing people more, uh, working out, et cetera, like it, it has been so awesome for my mental state that yes. like, yeah, I, I even like, um, even playing video games, I'm like, 
I'm playing Fallout 4 and I was like, this is a little depressing. I don't really want to do this. I'll go outside. It's like my brain just like rebooted or something and decided like, oh no, we're going to go wherever is brightest be there. Yeah, somewhere green. (laughs) I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have myself a good time here by throwing a beer towards my face. What? You should try to hit your mouth. That's the best place to put it, I've found. Is that where it tastes the best? Mm, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe a little bit in your nose, because you can kind of taste it when it's, like, dripping down. Oh, yeah, get yeah. that post-nasal beer drip <laughs> going on, right? <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the professional beer tasters do. They like to get a good snort of it. So people that listen to our show on the regular will remember last week, whenever I pitched my hose water lager uh, (laughs) idea for a beer brewed with hose water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have another idea that me and my buddy Josh came up with that I want to put out there. For any brewers that might be listening, maybe you make some of these and you send them our way so we can try them on the show. Now, here's the thing. You've had yourself like a peanut butter stout. Yeah. You've had yourself a milk stout. Definitely. You ever had yourself a buttermilk stout? (laughs) Just something thick and salty? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Maybe pour that over some cornbread? Ooh, count me in. (laughs) I'm on board with that. (laughs) Yuck. Boy, that doesn't sound good. Is that what you're about to have? Nope, it's not what I'm having. I'm having myself a really tasty beer because... I happen to set foot in a food city, the uh, Cuidad del Comida, as they say, south of the border, right? Am I right? Well, they say Ciudad. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I took Spanish classes. Come on. And uh, I got myself a good old six-pack of Lagunita Super Cluster. I haven't had that oh, beer man. in so that's a great long. One. That is oh, a great one. Just a wonderful, so wonderful good. sipper. I'm telling you, man, like, you know, we're very fortunate here in the city to live around so many awesome liquor stores that carry such a wide variety of beers, but Lagunitas is kind of a scarcity unless you hit a grocery store around here, and a lot of them only have, like, the IPA, which is fine, and, like, the little something, which is good, but, like, I haven't had just a regular old, like, Maximus in so long, and I haven't had this super cluster in so long. Man, Lagunitas just really fucks with a beer i love what they fucking do man absolutely and uh you know we haven't had us a a dark swan in a while but boy that's an awesome beer and then that sparkling swan do what you've had yourself the super cluster though right yes yeah i've had uh, a good bit of super cluster i remember really getting into it one summer but um i was gonna say i think last summer you like really really got into it because it's like you can get a six of it and it's not expensive and it's fucking strong too it is strong yeah you like four of those and you need to stop uh, yeah <laughs> i think but i mean i understand if you don't it's a citra hopped mega ipa of intergalactic proportions and uh yeah it is let's see what's the i don't know if it has a list on the can oh eight percent yeah that's a big old boy yeah, right there that's a big one yeah love it love lagunitas they make some really great stuff well i'm not drinking a beer but i got myself a sparkly water Sparkling water. Say, yeah, no, and and it's this isn't sparkling water. This is sparkly water. When when light hits it, it rainbows shoot up. It's amazing. Wow, it tastes like dreams and wishes. 
is it basically like like drinking Edward Cullen from Twilight in the sun? No, oh no, no, it's not depressing at all. Oh, okay. Nor is it uh, trying to have sex with someone wildly inappropriate, uh, age different. <laughs> Go back and listen to our Twilight episode for more on that. <laughs> now, Steve, there was one more thing that you watched this week, and it ties in real nice. It does. To what we're about to do, which is take a little detour into the preview Palos. Fuck, I didn't think of anything. Um, <laughs> You got it. Go with it. Yes, and. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Preview Palace, welcome to it. This is good. Preview Palace, <laughs> welcome to it. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. Now, what is it that you watch that has something to do with the little shop of horrors? I watched a documentary called Howard, which... Howard? Yeah. Like Howard the Duck. Yeah, it's about Howard the Duck, of course. Um, it's actually about Howard Ashman, who um, wrote the the musical version of this that Little Shop of Horrors is based on, and wrote the screenplay for Little Shop of Horrors, the, the film. The, yeah. the remake, technically, because, of course, this was originally a Roger Corman film in 1960. I'll, I'll get to how all that came about, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Howard Ashman because he saved Disney when we were kids. Now what? We Hang didn't on. even know Disney was in trouble. What? I have no recollection of this. When did this happen? I think I would remember it. <laughs> well, you may remember that through the '80s, we saw an awful lot of Disney movies, but those Disney movies were from the '40s and '50s and '60s because they re-released them all on on VHS. And the yeah. stuff that was coming out in the '80s, like you know, uh, Oliver and Company, etc., it really wasn't hitting. People weren't. Uh, rushing out to see those movies people in the 80s was like what does this got to do with all this cocaine <laughs> yeah i don't understand these cocaine or cartoon people <laughs> uh so yeah they, they just weren't hidden at the time but howard ashman was brought in after the success of little shop of horrors um he he was brought in to do some uh songs along with his his uh partner alan minkin who had been working with him since he had adapted uh, uh kurt vonnegut novel in in like 70 something they brought them in to to do some songs and while they were uh working on those songs they were being told about this this movie they were making called little mermaid i've heard of that one you may have howard ashman and, and alan minkin uh, were interested and they wrote all of the music for little mermaid and if you remember the Little Mermaid is one of those movies people love. It was the movie, in fact, that brought Disney back. Damn, yeah. Without Little Mermaid, we don't get Beauty and the Beast, we don't get Lion King, we don't get Aladdin, we don't get any of the big titles people really think about when they think about Disney. Now, of course, you know, you, t you think Moana and Frozen today, but you wouldn't get to Moana and Frozen if uh, Howard Ashman hadn't come along and written all the music for Little Mermaid. Because that That's was true. the draw. The music. And you also wouldn't have all those fantastic and incredibly difficult 16-bit games <laughs> that went yeah. along with those properties. They were so awesome. We owe him a lot. Absolutely. They were great. The Aladdin game? The Aladdin slapped. game was amazing, yes. Woo, so good. On so both good. platforms, the Aladdin game was good. Yep, that, And that true. was a rarity. Very rare. Yeah. Yeah, so Howard Ashman basically came along and saved Disney, so we wanted to talk about 
our top five Disney animated features. That's right, man, because he really had a big old hand in keeping this mega monster, which is really crazy to think now considering how much stuff Disney owns. Yeah, and you could definitely see like, oh, well, maybe if Disney collapsed, they wouldn't own everything, and that would be a positive. Uh, but uh, let's not think too hard about that. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're yeah. talking about Howard Ashman coming in and making some beloved cartoons. Uh, the business definitely has gotten way bigger. He did Beauty and the Beast. He did, he did Little Mermaid, and he contributed songs to Aladdin and was working on Aladdin up basically up to his death. Wow. When he was 39 of HIV. Uh, well, complications due to HIV. That is too young. Yeah, very young. But, I mean, uh, there there wasn't a lot in 1990 that they could do for HIV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, despite the fact he was getting the best treatment, etc. Yeah, just... Best back then still wasn't good enough, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, well, it was because of Reagan, uh, the AIDS crisis. Reagan. Hey, remember how Reagan destroyed this country? Wonderful. Yeah, he did a lot of that. <laughs> anyway, back to the joy. So we wanted to talk about our top five uh, animated features from Disney. This, of course, excludes Pixar because Pixar makes their own stuff. It's just Disney owns them. Yeah. If And if we did Pixar, this would just be us saying five Pixar movies, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to start out here with, I, I think, the most recent one that has come out that I've absolutely adored was Zootopia. Zootopia is so fucking good. I actually forgot that that was a Disney one. In my head, that was like either, you know, a really good DreamWorks yeah. or a really, you know, uh, like a Pixar flick that flew under the radar, but that's a Disney Animation Studios flick, and it is a delight. There's so much social commentary in it. Yes, and it's a, and it still remains funny the entire time. Like, it, they did it a really good job. Like, you know, I think Pixar has upped everybody's game in animation because Pixar oh, yeah. cares about story and cares about, like, you know, characters. I, I think that Zootopia is, is a really good example. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, around this time, Moana and Frozen have come out. Uh, so people might say, like, those those are the bigger movies, and they are, but Zootopia was the one I liked the most of, of the more recent ones. Yeah, it's a delight. It's so funny. The animation is fantastic. I like all the social messages and stuff. And I don't know, man, that scene like in the DMV with the sloth is just so fucking <laughs> hilarious. So, yes, what's that? What's your number five, man? My number five, I decided to go back into the Wayback Machine because I'll tell you this. I wasn't really one of those Disney kids. Like there, there was always those Disney kids that like watched all of them, had all of them in those big, awesome clamshell VHS cases and stuff when we were kids. Yes. I wasn't really one of them, partially because, again, I've, I've always not really liked musicals. So I would enjoy the stories and the animation, but I'd be like, yeah, but all this singing, do we need all the singing, guys? Come on. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I liked Fantasia a lot because it's, a lot of instrumentals. Oh, okay. It's the singing specifically that I didn't really like, but I did love Robin Hood when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, Robin Hood Robin Hood is my number 4, so we'll just talk about that a good bit then. It's fantastic, man. Do 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 do. Yeah. So good, man. And just like the animation style in that one I think is absolutely fucking fantastic. Yeah. The animation is beautiful in that thing. Yeah, I agree. I and I, you know, it's uh, it's one of those movies that, like, I, I think, like, 
it was a little goofier than than some of you know like Snow White, etc. That came out around Definitely. that time, and unlike Bambi, doesn't involve a you know very sad scene. It's just fun. Through, I mean, there there is the everybody in prison raining sad song bit, but that's as much as it gets like depressing and draggy there. You know, that actually might be part of why I liked this one so much as a kid. Probably, yeah. Too, because like when I think about other ones that I used to watch, like like you said, like fucking Bambi, mm-hmm. uh, The Land Before Time, I know it's not Disney, but it's Ugh. just like just another movie where it's like, hey kid, your parents can die. Woo! Thanks like, for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, I think as a kid I got just like burnt out on that and I was like, man, it'd be cool if there was a movie where the parents didn't die and the whole mm-hmm. thing was you know based around how sad it is and shit so i think that's part probably part of the reason why i liked robin hood so much yeah yeah and also of course uh we all had the hots for maid marion or robin hood i was gonna say like why was marion so hot yeah i don't understand why but even as a kid i was like she's hot i've heard that about both marion and robin hood and i we all agree on it. I don't know what yeah. it was they did in the animation that made us all go like, yeah, all right. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> yeah, Robin, Robin Hood, man, just awesome. And I, and I always, I don't know why I loved King John. Like, cause like he, he, a lot of the comedy is King John and how like over the top and silly and villainous he is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. All of it just worked for me as a kid and I, I've watched it again as an adult. Emily and I watched it one night. I remember and still loved it. Still fun. Yeah, man. It's really good. And too, I think that so many of the, you know, the older ones like Snow White, Cinderella, all those were based around old European fairy tales. Whereas Robin Hood was more of a folk tale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they decided to tell it with these anthropomorphic animal creatures and stuff. It just made it, different enough i think from the other disney stuff that was around in that era and i think that's part of why it stuck out so much to me yeah i would agree with that what's your number four ben since mine's robin hood let's let's find out what you got going let's keep on going here with number four now this one right here again kind of the same deal i totally forgot that this wasn't a pixar movie but it is a very recent flick and we actually watched this at the beach now that i think about it man moana is a fucking joint. Moana is fucking awesome. It is so fun. It is a really, really, really cool flick. The animation is unbelievable. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculously great. You've got like the entire cast, which is like Pacific Islanders and stuff. Very fucking cool. Not Uh casting just a bunch of white voice actors to play not white people. Right. That's cool. That is awesome. Um, It's funny. The songs are great. You've got fucking Jermaine doing uh-huh. that like David Bowie song is that big crab yeah come on Jemaine's it's a good awesome. old time I love Moana yeah. my one main problem with Moana was I, I can't figure out like I think it doesn't have a villain at all right like there, I mean, there's, there's like no the villain. big volcano guy but it's not like a direct opposition it's not really an agonist antagonist which is an thing. interesting way to tell a story that um, maybe you know because uh, she still is overcoming obstacles, but there doesn't have to be a villain. Uh, I like watching it the first time. I was like, "Who? Like, who is the villain? Like, who is?" Because that's a Disney thing, right? There's always a villain, and True. in this one, it's it's really just overcoming obstacles. It's like a, a hero's journey, like uh, the Odyssey, uh, where there, yeah, there are all sorts of different obstacles. No main villain to really be looked at, I guess. 
Yep. Yeah, I, yeah, Moana is a great one. I, my number three, Ben, is one I saw so many times as a kid, and I, like, I've read the book, I've uh, seen the other adaptations, except for the most recent one, but Peter Pan is, oh, uh, yeah. that one was a fun one as a kid. Now, looking back on it, it's uh, problematic. Yeah? <laughs> How so? Down. Well, the uh, the the Native American part is oh yeah super yeah that's racist. That's a big big old element in there. Yeah, yep. it's like that in the book too. I've never read the book. Well, okay, I mean the book the book is not uh, the, the thing to look at for um good because like the the problems with Peter Pan are like multiple because the yes. J.M. Barry was very likely a child molester, very uh, likely. I yeah. wrote a character who is always a child. Um, yeah. that's gross but uh, that can't take away the fun that I had in my head of the idea of getting to fly away to this fun little island where all these cool things happen so I'm, n- I'm not gonna let the problematic bits take away my, my childhood love of it but sure. now as an adult that that is hard to watch for sure <laughs> You gotta acknowledge it, for sure. Yeah. As a kid, I absolutely loved Peter Pan, and still, like, you know, like, Hook. I'm a a big fan of Hook. Uh, It's it's not the best movie, but it does cut out uh, some of the more problematic stuff while, you know, adding in some really silly elements that slow down the story a bit, but are way fun. You're doing it, Peter! You're doing it! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I loved that movie so much as a kid. Like, as a kid... I definitely watched Hook way more than I watched Peter Pan. Oh, really? I've seen Peter Pan a time or two. Like I remember, like uh, like being my shadow and shit like that. Uh huh. But I never really watched that one all that much. But Hook, I could really sink my teeth into. Yeah, Peter Pan was one one of the few where we had that clamshell like copy of it, and we wore it out. Just would watch it constantly. Word, man. I get that, dude. That's a good one. You know, my number three coming up here. Okay. I'm actually going to kind of fudge the system here a little bit. Okay. Because we went into this saying we'll we'll do our top five favorite Disney animated features. Does stop motion animation count? Because if so, the Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, does it count? Are we talking like... Okay, I didn't count it in my list, which is why it's not on my list. But if we count it, it should be on the list. It would be there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because, you know, it's like, I think we're talking like animated as in two-dimensional yeah. renderings whether that be computer or cells but it is still i mean it is still animated <laughs> i yeah. mean yeah no i'm with you on it yeah sure nightmare before christmas duh it's awesome christmas. yeah it's yeah. it uh, holds up i've seen it a million times uh, i'll probably see it a million to- million more times it's um it's, it's a, a yearly watch yeah, for sure man absolutely. for many many reasons absolutely fucking awesome but if it didn't count I was going to say my number three is fucking Tarzan. Tarzan, Tarzan. is fantastic. Dude, I'm telling you, the soundtrack for that movie is ridiculous. Like, if you ever get the chance to, like, be in front of a really great stereo system and get to wind up that Tarzan okay. soundtrack, the production <laughs> That'd be the first that Phil thing Collins, I'd put in. <laughs> I'm telling you, you'll be stunned 
by how fucking good it sounds. Like, listen to that and then listen to something that, you know, some, like, SoundCloud artist recorded in their bedroom. <laughs> the fidelity of it is absolutely nuts. And the songs are good as fuck. And I love the animation style in that one. I think the animation yeah, is so, good. like fluid and cool and it also has some you know computer rendered stuff in there too that works pretty seamlessly and uh yeah i don't know man that's a really fun one. we watched that one maybe a month or so ago you know just on like a sunday or something like that and it had been a while since i saw it and i was like man this is really goddamn fun you know, to watch i haven't rewatched it in a long time and there's not really any excuse i've got disney plus i should i should check it out yeah you should, man. Definitely a good one. Now, this was a tough one for me, and th this is, again, all nostalgia here. This is all about what what just hits with me. Uh, it was tough for me two? to decide which is number two and which is number okay. one. Yeah. But number, number two, I'm going to say The Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love The Little Mermaid. Uh, I remember, as I said, as a kid, we didn't watch the 80s. Like, I, I don't think I've ever even seen Oliver and Company. Like, we didn't really pay attention to a lot of Disney movies except the re-release stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember my sister really wanted to watch Little Mermaid, and I was like, yeah, it's girl stuff, yeah, or whatever, you know, because I was uh, a kid. And that was the cooties talking. Yeah, it was the cooties talking. <laughs> we watched it, and I remember, uh, you know, sitting there like, I'm not going to like this, and then, like, liking it almost instantly getting way into it and really really enjoying it and uh then yeah that, that also having that experience at school of being like all the other boys being like little mermaid is girl stuff and me being like yeah i, I really like little mermaid um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of sick though right yeah it's like way awesome though because like come on ursula what She's awesome. Great She's Disney the, villainess. One of the best Disney villainesses ever. She is so yep. amazing. Yep. Totally agree, man. And the soundtrack to that is also a fucking jam. The best. It's so good. Like, yeah, I, I it's it's always going to be one of my absolute favorites. Like, rewatching it. Because the animation is so good. The, the As you said, the music is so good. And the story solid. It, of course, does have its very problematic elements, too. Sure. <laughs> but... It is awesome. I love that movie. I mean, pretty much any of these that are based on like Grimm's fairy tales or like Hans Christian Andersen tales and stuff like it's that, it's problems. always like, <laughs> and then the fucking mid 20s guy bangs the 15 year old girl. Right. It's, and like, it's like, oh, oh God. okay. Let's no. Mm, Could have just made her a little older or him younger. And then they not bang. Maybe that. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just end up friends at the end. Hooray. Uh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> You know how, like, you have, I don't know about you, but for myself, I have, like, random pockets of, like, really early childhood memories that are really vivid for some reason. Uh-huh. Uh, the Little Mermaid is one of those for me. Oh, Because wow. it came out in, what'd you say, 89? 89, yeah. Yeah, so we were so young. So depending on the time of year, I was either four or five years old. So very, very, very fucking young. But I distinctly remember going to see it yeah and it was a night after after church at manly baptist church in morristown tennessee oh i know very crazy we all went together and we saw it and also i randomly remember what i was wearing when we saw the movie i love those memories 
I love when right? that happens. Yeah. Because there was like always random like pieces of clothing and stuff that as a child would get really randomly attached to for some reason. And for me, it was this like shorts and I think tank top set that I had when I was, you know, a fucking kid that was kind of this like salmon color. And it had this like really simple line drawing illustration of like a cool dude with sunglasses and like wavy hair. And it said, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And for some reason, I thought it was like the fucking coolest thing in the world whenever I got to wear like the the matching outfit ensemble. And I was wearing that whenever we went to see The Little Mermaid. And this was after church. So we went and saw it like after like an evening service church, I mean to say, not like morning service church. We went to the College Square Mall Theater and watched it. Uh Uh-huh. And then afterwards, I vividly remember going to the McDonald's over there at the mall for like a, probably an ice cream or something. And this is when they were doing, and again, maybe my childhood memories are, are mixing two different things here, but I think it lines up. They were doing that whole promotion where they had like the Moon Man. You remember the McDonald's Moon yes. Man late night yeah. guy? Yeah. What was his name? Mac Tonight. That was his name. Was that it? Mm-hmm. See, I don't even remember his name. I'm just like, yes, the Moon Man McDonald's guy that was there for like a second, you know? And uh, I think there was like a Happy Meal toy or something like that that had the Moon Man guy on it. And all that stuff happened that night. And for some reason in my head, that is extremely vivid with The Little Mermaid. And I don't know why. I uh, once performed oral sex on a girlfriend in that parking lot. Anyway, next. I do not have that memory. <laughs> <laughs> you don't? That's weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, good for you, though. I go for her. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. What's next on your list, Ben? All right, my number two, man. This is one that I've got to put out here because, again, we also recently rewatched this one for the first time in a while, and it is such a fucking delight, man. It is a movie that has great beautiful animation um i believe if i'm not mistaken some cultural um what do you call that respect like reverie kind of kind of going on in it sure reverence there we go that's the word i'm looking for and it's also got some really great characters some really funny moments and stuff and some really good just like sisterhood bonds like there's not like a knight in shining armor saving women in this one it's just a really fucking feel good great time i'm talking about lilo and stitch that is a really lilo and stitch yeah great movie that one is a good one i don't Mm -hmm. know i don't know the last time that you saw it but go back and watch it again and you'll just be like there's not really anything troublesome about this movie it's really fucking good yeah no i remember seeing it back in the day uh and and also seeing the the they had like a regular cartoon on on disney and yeah. always being like, oh, Never this it. is a delight. This is fun. I'm telling you, man. Also, no singing and dancing. So oh, I'm good with that. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Huh. Now I can see why it's high on your list. There you go, man. It's a really yeah, fun Yeah, it's a watch, good man. one, though. Yeah, no, they're, yeah, you don't even have to defend it. Lilo and Stitch, a beloved one. You do. do remember enjoying it, for sure. Oh, yeah, man. All right. Here it is, man. Numero uno. Woo! Aladdin. I mean, come on. It's yeah. kind of hard to resist, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because, um, you know... Because you, you all good teens take off their clothes. All good teens take off their clothes, of course. Uh, the music's amazing, uh, but it's really Robin Williams, of course, because, uh, you know, yeah. as we said, John Goodman, America's dad. Uh, Robin Williams, America's uh, sad uncle. 
basically. Yeah, I think we so. didn't know Funny he was sad, sad uncle, but we yeah. always cared about him. And then when we found out he was sad, we were also very sad. Very sad. Yeah. But Robin Williams, I just loved him as a kid. Still, but love him as an adult. And he he just killed it in that movie. He's so funny. And then also the the story is just you know, it's a fun story. The when they go into the, like the the lion's mouth and stuff, the animation just so really cool. cool. And again, the music, a whole new world that is in my head a lot. Uh, I've seen that movie a lot as a kid, and it just basically embedded in my head that sometimes <laughs> that song will just be there and I'll start singing it. And I love that. Like, you know, sometimes you have a song in your head and you're like, oh, why is this in my head? That song's in my head. I'm like, okay, cool. Oh, my God. I have had fucking, uh, what is that? You know, that Eve Six song is what I'm talking about. Wanna put my tender, in the blender. Yes. Yeah, that, that Eve has Six guy been, is great on Twitter, though. Oh, oh he's fucking amazing. Yeah. That song has been in my head for two <laughs> days straight. Like, I'm trying to go to sleep, and I'm like... Hard in a blender. <laughs> it's fucking driving me insane, man. Dude, so have I ever sent you that YouTube video that I found of the real version of A Whole New World? No. Dude, it's so fucking stupid. Go to YouTube if you're listening to this. Real version of A Whole New World, okay. I think that's oh, what wait, it's called. Yes, you have, where it's just the sound <laughs> of the wind. Yeah, it's them riding on that carpet through the air, and like he starts singing at her, and then you can barely even hear it because yeah. it's just whoosh, <laughs> just wind noise, just pummeling them, dude. Yeah, yeah, I can't because oh, like, so they go funny. so fast on that carpet. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they'd be like hitting bugs, be hitting them in the face and shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, Aladdin is a treat though, man. Like you said, the the animation and stuff, uh, really, really, really great movie. Also, Iago, I you know never forget Gilbert Gottfried is hilarious in that. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Uh-huh. That the unique voice just works so perfectly with a parrot. Like, yeah, love it. Great choice, man. Great choice. What's your number one, Ben? Dude, I've said it on the show before. Longtime listeners, they already know what's coming. It doesn't get any better than The Emperor's New Groove. The Emperor's New Groove is like one of those movies that I, I definitely did not see when it came out. This is one that was introduced to me because uh, my wife's family was really into this flick and they had it on an awesome clamshell VHS. Oh, awesome. And <laughs> we would watch it just, you know, just kind of randomly from time to time. It's one of those great, like, daytime, anytime kind of watches. Uh-huh. And uh, they would quote that movie all the time and stuff. Beware the groove, what have you. Right. And, uh, man, as soon as I watched it, I fucking loved it. Watched it for the first time one day after we volunteered at the local, what do they call it? It's like Vacation Bible School for, like, Kate's family's church. We would go there and, like, you know, volunteer to help the the kids out and all that kind of shit yeah and we watched it one day after we did that and i have loved that movie ever since it's kind of one of those go-to rainy day sick day lazy day kind of movies like that and like Janice not bob strike back uh those are like my go-to movies where i'm just like i know every line the whole thing just puts me in a good mood it's just a fucking great time and again featuring guess who america's dad john goodman brings the heat 
there's so many fucking funny lines in it. Yeah, I, I love In Prisoner Groove. That's always going to be, I think, my favorite Disney ever. Yeah, super funny. Super great. I enjoy it. Uh, you have any honorable mentions? I got, I got a couple here that I, I wanted to fit in, but... Hit I me. mean, The Lion King, obviously. Oh, yeah. Great one. Just can't Although, wait to be king, etc. You gotta you gotta point out that the entire fucking movie is a ripoff of that anime. Like it is so direct, it's insane. That is kind of one of the things that puts it down lower. Yeah, that they basically just stole. Oh, it's a it it is a blatant steal. Like if y'all listen to this, don't know about it, just just look up. You know, Lion King stole. Yeah, and you'll probably <laughs> find some King stuff about it. Stole, stole. Yeah. There's a really great YouTube video that I watched that has all these like back-to-back comparisons, and I can't remember what the original anime was called. It's like Kimba or something like that. Yeah, something very similar to Simba. Yeah, and it, he's like the white tiger or some shit like this. It is an exact, blatant ripoff that Disney got away with because they have so much money they could have kept him tied up in court forever. Yeah, and it I is a blatant that. ripoff, but it's a miraculous movie. Um also Legend of Sleepy Hollow, though the movie oh, was yeah. Ichabod and Mr. Toad, and the Mr. Toad bit is not one of my favorites. So nobody cares about that, man. You just want the headless horseman. Come on. Exactly. But the, yeah, I love that Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And of, of course you you mentioned it, the uh 1940 Fantasia, not the 2000 Fantasia. Yeah. 1940 no, 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 no. is absolutely stunning, amazing, and has a whole segment about evolution, which is awesome. Yeah, dude. Fantasia is ridiculously great. I've not watched that in so long, dude. It's well worth I mean, because, like, just remembering this all hand-drawn, uh, it is amazing. Yeah. Dude, in 1940? Uh-huh. Just... Holy fuck. Outrageous. That, I mean, the thing is, uh, uh, you know, this we got so much to talk about about Little Shop, but Fantasia was one of those that, that like, failed at the box office, and Walt Disney was actually kind of, like, embarrassed by it. Uh, and now looking back on it, it's like, no, that's an artistic feat. Like, I'm glad you made that. Isn't it so weird? Like, the entire history of, of Disney as a corporation, where it's like, you know, the, the opening of Disney World was a historic flop, like an insanely bad opening for that thing. They almost went bankrupt in the 80s. Yeah. Like there is so many uh, trials and tribulations that they went through and then they just kept going and now they own the fucking world. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and thus you see the inherent flaws of capitalism. Oh, capitalism, huh? Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit during this movie, huh? <laughs> Let us know your favorite Disney flicks over on the Facebook page. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. That that Facebook page, man, I'm telling you what, it's been popping. There's been so many good discussions and people sharing like really fucking hilarious memes and stuff. I love the level of conversation and stuff that we've built up over there, especially over the entire course of 2020 and living through a pandemic and stuff. I think a lot of us just started hanging out over there and talking over there and sharing what movies we've been watching, what books we've been reading and stuff. Even if it's not like necessarily horror related, like I'm going to say like half of the posts on our group are not horror related and that's totally fine. Oh, because yeah, absolutely. just like our fucking podcast, yeah. less than half, half of it's horror related yeah. anyway. And sometimes <laughs> we're you're not talking, about, even Disney talking about a horror movie. <laughs> no, you know, so it just it totally works, man. We're finding yeah. people that match our vibes. So let us know what your all's favorite Disney flicks are, especially if we admitted your favorite over there on that oh, Facebook yeah. page. We, we yeah, we missed a whole bunch of really good ones, but 
you know, it's just about, I, I think a lot of it is about when you're at the peak age for some of it, like that's always just going to stick with you as something that you love. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Uh, uh, this movie we're talking about today, in fact, is one of those for me that it's always stuck with me because I loved it as a kid and I have so much to say about it. Okay, I'm interested to hear about this because I didn't see this movie until I was a grown-ass man and I had heard about it and always probably kind of avoided it because it was a musical or whatever, but again, this is also one of those super clear memories that I have because um, I'm going to say this is probably 10 or 12 years ago, something like that. So I was, I was in like my late 20s, I guess, by then, mid-20s, and... We went and saw Inception, whatever okay. year that came out. Whatever year Inception came out is the, the same year that I watched this movie because we went and watched Inception and came home and Kate had already seen it once. And I was like, man, that wasn't really very good, was it? Nope. <laughs> and she was like, nope, it was not very good. I think Inception kind of blows. And uh, so we we're like, we need to watch a good movie. Have you ever seen Little Shop of Horrors? Why, no, I haven't. So we watched this movie then. So I watched this movie the same day that I saw Inception. So these two movies, for some reason, are kind of glued together in my head. It was also the same day I was repainting a dresser that used to belong to my Nana. Do you remember that white dresser that was in the art room back in Uh the old house that had the swirled knobs that had all the Nintendo video games in it? Same day I was painting that thing white. Wow. All those things it tied all together stuck, in my head. huh? That's awesome. Yeah, it's very strange. I I remember seeing this as a kid and just loving it, loving every every second of it. And then um, a cartoon came out. There was a cartoon, a Little Shop oh, yeah. cartoon. And it wasn't Little Shop of Horrors. It was just no, Little Shop, right? just Little Shop. And they made all of them younger, except for Mr. Mushnik, who was still an adult. Um mm-hmm. And the the plant no longer ate um, humans; it just ate food. And <laughs> I, I the animation of it was something I liked as a kid. I rewatched uh, a couple episodes for this, but I don't. I I kind of see what I saw back then as a kid because it was a bit different than other stuff that was out around the time. But it's not good. It's just the I same cartoon plots it. over and over. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the animation style in it kind of like Ghostbusters-y? Uh, no. Or am I thinking of something else? You're thinking okay. of something else, yeah. Yeah, All no, right. it, it, um, it, it's got its own kind of unique little thing going on. But it, it's also, I think it came out before most of the big Nickelodeon animation came out, which came along and then all had its own unique look. And it was like, oh, okay, that's cool stuff. And it was actually good. Uh, but Little Shop stuck with me because the the animation was unique to me, and I loved the movie. And I, after doing uh, two weeks of research, I, I have eight pages of notes here about what? Little Shop of Horrors because I have so much to say. One, I I watched the 1960 original, which I had never seen. I've never seen it. How is it? It's a Roger Corman movie that was made in a week. Hmm. That's how it is. It's good though. I I thought it was fun. It was fun, but it's 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 like you can tell that it was uh, made in a week in 1960. It's a it's a multi-cam movie. <laughs> okay. It's like 
<laughs> they shot they they seriously shot it like a TV show now uh to to get through it as quick as possible and um it's only an hour and 10 minutes it, the some things are different uh than what you know we get in the musical version but it, largely it's the same basic story so I, I think it's worth a watch it's only an hour and 10 minutes and you know it just to see where this came from but what really got me like in watching the uh uh howard documentary what really got me was seeing how howard ashman after making his adaptation of uh kurt vonnegut's uh god bless you miss rosewater uh mr rosewater it he that kind of failed and instead of going for something safe he was like I saw this really weird movie, and now I want to turn it into a musical. And the fact that it, like, became successful. Like, an off-Broadway musical adapting this movie that not many people saw. It was like a $10,000 budget in in 1960. A a tiny little film. Mm -hmm. In that it succeeded uh, off-Broadway. Like, that people loved it and, and... wanted to turn it into a movie that's crazy. It's amazing so just researching more about this movie made me realize like uh how lucky we are to have it and also how weird the 80s were and how like you could be if if something succeeded in any way somewhere else hollywood would buy it and turn it into a movie no kidding right wow so how is it that like Frank Oz, damn Fozzie Bear, yeah, Yoda became himself. attached to this. Miss yeah, Piggy, Yoda himself, the Cookie Monster, yeah, and decided like, hey, I should make a movie. That's, that <laughs> that's like any Frank Oz. Yeah, voice. that is how he talks. That's not any of them. <laughs> <laughs> how did he decide? Hey, I should make a movie out of this. So, uh, David Geffen bought the the oh, like Geffen Records, like yeah, record like company. The, Geffen. Yeah, that David Geffen. Uh, what? He bought the rights to the off-Broadway show and had Howard Ashman write a screenplay for it. And originally, it was going to be executive produced by Steven Spielberg. Okay, yeah, I've heard of him. Directed by Martin Scorsese in 3D. Uh, this sounds like hat on a hat on a hat. In 3D, Martin Scorsese. That sounds like cocaine snorted cocaine basically yeah yeah i think that's that's exactly what it was (laughs) so i would love to have seen what happened what happened there but basically the the original writer of little shop of horror was like hey i i wrote that you owe me money um took them to court and that kind of uh spielberg lost interest scorsese lost interest they approached some other directors uh eventually came to frank oz and frank oz said he wasn't interested but then he was thinking about the script and he kind of came up with a way he could shoot it in a way that he thought would work. And so he like presented it to Howard Ashman and um, the, uh, you know, other producers, etc. And they liked what he wanted to do. Basically, he wanted he wanted he thought the script was too theatrical, too much like a theatrical presentation. And he wanted to give it space. So okay. like he he didn't end up changing a lot of any of the like dialogue or any of the songs or anything, but he wanted to basically give it space. So they end up shooting in 
Pinewood Studios uh, so they can have these gigantic sets. But Frank Oz was, you know, he had just done Muppets Take Manhattan. Like, to deal with this big uh, puppet, uh, flower puppet, you need a director who knows how to deal with that type of thing. And so Frank Oz was, it's really fortunate he figured out a way that would make it interesting for him because I don't know how other people might have handled this. It's also very fortunate that at the same time as they were filming this movie in Pinewood Studios, also filming at Pinewood Studios was that crew working on a little film, what's known as Aliens. And I think that they knew a thing or two about working some animatronics, puppets, and so forth. And apparently there was a lot of like going back and forth and problem solving between these two crews and helping people trying to figure out exactly how to make these special effects and stuff work on screen, which is pretty amazing and serendipitous. It is. And yeah. And like a lot of the people working on the plant were from Jim Henson's uh, group. They had previously worked with him. So like you got Brian Henson, Jim Henson's uh, son working on the set. So you got like some of the top minds meeting with some of the other top minds talking about how they can make this stuff work. And it, it's amazing how it does end up working because, like, the they couldn't make the mouth move fast enough to sing some of the parts and things, and like yeah. couldn't get it in like the right like motion and stuff. And then they they figured out if they shot it in twelve frames per second, they could show it in twenty four, and then it looked right. So they some of the and scenes, it does. Yeah, yeah, and it does, and it looks great. Some of the scenes where you see the plant and Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis is having to do everything in slow mo, <laughs> so that when they show it in regular, it looks normal, and they nail it somehow. It's absolutely insane because whenever you watch this, and you're watching what you know must be an animatronic plant, you know, singing these songs. And yeah, they this, don't try this dialogue to and stuff. make it look overly realistic. Like this movie no, is very fine with being absurd. Oh yeah, yeah, which is exactly what it needs to be like so much of this movie looks artificial on purpose so that whenever you have this plant that obviously looks artificial on screen you don't even notice it because it's clearly not taking place in a photorealistic you know visually accurate world it's supposed to be kind of off it's supposed to be kind of fake and campy looking and stuff and dude whenever you get those shots of audrey too singing the songs it's insane how fluid it looks. Yeah. Like you've never seen animatronics move that fluidly and quickly because they they couldn't at the time. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't. Yeah, they they had to do it visually. But I mean, surprisingly, no blue screen involved in this. It's all the actual animatronic in space doing everything. Crazy. It, it's it's great. Like they they really nail all of that. And uh, you know, it kind of as you were saying about like the the way that the world is is meant to be this like fake imaginary sort of place like when we're first introduced to the the chorus or the the greek chorus that we have which is uh crystal ronette and chiffon when we're first Mm -hmm. introduced to them it's raining outside and they're walking through it and they don't get wet see that's like subtle stuff that i never noticed until i like read that in the trivia and then i'm watching the movie and i'm like yeah they're actually not getting hit by the rain like this is surreal weird stuff going on in the way they chose to frame this and it's very deliberate obviously yeah uh when we're whenever seymour first meets Oren, the uh, you know steve martin he he literally comes flying in on a motorcycle not 
not yeah. driving it. It flies from the sky. Through the air. Yeah. It, like, there's, there's so much, like, absurdity meant to, like, show us that, like, you know, I think it kind of, it's meant to, to remind us the world is kind of absurd, but I think it's also so that nothing feels too absurd. Like, you, yeah. it kind of lulls you into, yeah, of course that plant would start talking. <laughs> like, right. Whereas if this was in, like, a Zack Snyder movie, it'd be like, what the fuck now? Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't work that way, yeah. So th- this, th- there's a lot of, like, real smart stuff done here in, in you know, just creating a world where all of this can happen and you don't think too much about it. Like, I never feel at any point, because we basically just start immediately with music i never think any point like it's weird that people are singing right now it always just flows for me yeah it does yeah the entire vibe is very natural even though it's super weird because from the get-go it really sets its tone (laughs) immediately yeah so this movie has you know big old great cast we got rick moranis um as, God as our, damn! What a treasure, Rick Moranis. Yeah, just beloved. Fuck man. Yeah, and uh, well, you wear some nerd ass glasses that don't look anything like mine for sure. Um, <laughs> he's wearing the same glasses as me. I think his are just slightly darker at the top. Sick. It, I didn't even notice it until like third time I watched it, and then I was like, "Oh, I'm a dork. Got it." <laughs> look at this geek. Yeah, he he had just done Ghostbusters one, so like. Yeah, you look at this and it's like Bill Murray has been kind of a star at this point for about five years when they Mm -hmm. they filmed it. Steve Martin, you know, around that a little bit longer. Uh, But like Rick Moranis had kind of just hit recently. Like he had done Strange Brew just a few years before that. Have you ever seen that? It's like, no. Okay, it was SCTV guys. Um, But Strange Brew is a wonderfully absurd movie about Canadians going to a brewery and trying to drink all the beer. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. But yeah, like, he he's not, like, a big star. He had been, you know, kind of off to the side, but this is, like, his perfect starring role because, like, the guy is supposed to be kind of Rick Moranis-y. Like, I can imagine the script even saying he looks like Rick Moranis because... Yeah, it, perfect he, for it. He's perfect for it. And then Ellen Green, so... They they originally wanted Cindy Lauper for Audrey. What? Right. Well, so I think it's just the voice they were associating, and Cindy Lauper was super popular at the time. That like kind of high, bubbly kind of voice sort of thing. I mean, I guess I can kind of see it. Um, at the same time, though, it's just like I can't imagine anybody but her. No, I can't her imagine fucking weird ass voice and her weird ass wig. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody other than her in this movie. She is like. When I think of Little Shop of Horrors, even more than me thinking about Rick Moranis or Audrey 2, I think about, what is her name again? Ellen? Audrey Ellen Green. Ellen Green. I think about her because her performance is so fucking weird, dude. Well, she she originated the role when they, they did it off Broadway. So she had had a long wow. time to really think about exactly how... Audrey would act in these moments and you're right like she makes very particular choices all the time which does make her come off as as, yeah the oddest but like most compelling performance in the whole thing even when you got Bill Murray playing a masochist who's just super (laughs) like he's not even stoked man he's not even doing a weird 
line readings as she is like but she does it so part like every line reading i'm like yep she gets this script in a way nobody else gets it because she's had so much experience with it oh yeah and it's amazing too to hear how like i mean obviously her character in the movie the the speaking voice is this super bizarre breathy whispery yeah kind of baby yeah yeah kind of baby talky thing and even in some of the songs like suddenly seymour and stuff like that she can start off singing like that character would sing in this baby talky kind of way and then also slowly transition it into a way more big like uh you know super singer virtuoso yeah. like because she's got some fucking pipes she can she really does. sing yeah. but the way that she can kind of morph that voice around is insane like that's something that's always really amazed me is not only whenever people can do a character voice but then when people can sing in that character voice that's so fucking hard very hard yeah i yeah i think i think she's she's just awesome ellen green amazing and that, that wig is outrageous it's oh my just god so dude. big it's so big and she's just like so thin that it looks like she's all hair i love it it's bizarre her entire look man where she's like she's clearly like super spacey looking and she's got this crazy hair everything she wears her boobs are just like 10 foot out in front of her <laughs> yeah and then like her, her entire thing where you know she's she's obviously in this terrible like abusive relationship and getting beat around and stuff which is super dark and fucked up yeah but then also at the same time like she talks about when she used to work at that club and she used to have to wear trashy clothes not like these <laughs> and stuff like her yeah. character is that, nuts man well that i mean that is okay so uh, let, let i i don't want to end up only talking about this but i think it is the lens that we have to talk about early and that is that th- this movie has uh, a, an alternate ending that was the original ending of the musical and mm-hmm. that i is the only one I watched for this because I watched it first and then I was like, oh, that's an amazing movie. And didn't even really remember as I was watching it, uh, in the alternate ending, Audrey gets eaten by the plant. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then Seymour gets eaten by the plant. And uh my wife was in here watching it with me and she was like, I don't remember Audrey getting eaten. And I was right. like, you know, in the theatrical, she doesn't. In the theatrical, they live happily ever after. Yeah, I'd never seen the original ending until I heard about it and looked it up on YouTube. Like, after I watched the movie a week ago, I watched the original ending, and I was like, holy shit, that's different. <laughs> it is way different, and it makes zero sense. It was a focus group problem. You Dude, show stuff what to- is with these people, man? Test audiences ruin movies they because do. they had filmed the original ending which is batshit crazy yeah and they tested it in multiple audiences across the country and it was like people love the movie they hate that ending though and then like frank oz apparently you know begged them for another test screening like this just had to be an isolated incident don't make me change the end of this movie because he was very set on the ending of this flick Specifically because he said that the entire deal with Seymour and this plant was supposed to be, in his words, a very Faustian deal. This is a guy that sold his soul and, yeah, sold his morality and his morals and stuff so that he could get what he wanted and he should have to pay the price. Like, Frank Oz saw the value in this 
quote unquote bad ending. Um, and so he begged for another test screening and it bombed there too. Who the fuck do they find for these test screenings? Because there's so many things, especially in horror, where you find out that, you know, the original ending or the original cut of this or that was way fucking cool and then it tested badly. Who the fuck are they getting to watch these movies? People at a mall in Orange County who didn't have anything to do. So (sighs) literally anybody. Oh, man. Yeah, I I think because this didn't do well in the box office. Like, it, it... it was a $25 million budget. It made $39 million. So $14 million, the advertising budget was probably 5 to 7 it, yeah. it didn't really make them the money they were looking for. I guarantee the original ending would have made more money. Because it's a horror movie. Uh, it is a movie in which uh, the, the result of buying in to an evil bargain uh, are that you, you die. And that you you've in fact empowered this evil thing, and now and it takes led over to the death and dismemberment of many people along the way. It's dark, dude. Like that's something about this flick that I think that I've forgotten about because it's been so long since I saw it. This thing is fucking dark. It's very dark. There's I don't think there's any comedy in this movie. It's and it's not supposed it's not supposed to be comedy. It's supposed to be presented in a comedic light to emphasize the absurdity and to get you deeper and deeper into these characters because you can get past the darkness because it keeps presenting everything like it's kind of wacky and kind of silly but what we're seeing is Steve Martin threatening to beat up a woman nothing funny nothing funny is happening but the movie is pretending it's fun no what you're seeing is fucking Seymour then killing said dentist and having to dismember his body with an axe. Like, is that funny? Yeah. So, like, I think if you see the full movie, the the way it was meant to be, and, Ben, if you can understand lyrics. Now, I have long puzzled at this that people can be you know thrown to find out say rage against the machine is a political band etc no yeah i've come to the conclusion that a large portion of people cannot understand the lyrics and even if they can know the lyrics they cannot connect lyrics to meaning hmm so so a lot of these songs because it's bright and happy People aren't connecting what the lyrics are saying. And here's what I believe. Now, hang on, hang on. Are you telling me that all them songs by the Beach Boys ain't all fun? I'd say zero of them are fun. (laughs) (laughs) Zero of them are fun. They're all just Brian Wilson being like, I wish my dad was dead and me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So here's, here's the thing. If you look at the lyrics to this, this is an anti-capitalist movie. The plant is a representation of capitalism. And basically they inverted the old uh, invasive alien communist trope and uh-huh. made it capitalism. And here are some of the lyrics that I think just make this absolutely solid from the beginning. Now, the chorus... I don't know about this. Is this an Alex Jones podcast? Are you telling me some kind of conspiracy theory? What's going on here? I, well, I'm, I'm going to tell you 
exactly what I believe. And, and I looked it up and I saw that some other people have said this. I did not read what they said because I didn't want to repeat what someone else has said. But other people have thought this. So the chorus, the Greek chorus that we get, which is very much what it is, a Greek chorus. It is it is people who are a part of the the musical as much as they're not a part of it. Like they yeah. have they have information that no one else has. They have a perspective no one else has. They got the god's eye view. They yeah. got the god's eye view. They are right, they are correct, they know what's up. So this is what they tell us. This is from the beginning. We get alarm goes off at seven and you start up town. You put in your eight hours for the powers that have always been. Okay, so we're talking about now. We're talking about people in charge, the people at the top, the rich people. They pass along their money. They're the powers that have always been. They will never fall. They will never falter. And by the way, you'll never get there. They'll get to this. Hmm. Downtown where the folks are broke downtown where your life's a joke uptown you cater to a million jerks uptown your messengers and mailroom clerks hang on could you read that again but this time in a bernie sanders voice i think uptown, you cater to a million jerks uptown your messengers <laughs> and mailroom clerks i can hear your your hands waving around in the they air were. i can see they the were. big bernie sanders hands i can hear it yeah Eating all your lunches at the hot dog carts, the bosses take your money and they break your hearts. Okay, all right, yes, this sounds like capitalism. It does. Okay, that's the chorus establishing what capitalism is and where you are in it. Then we get Seymour. Seymour comes along and he gives us the view of the person stuck in this system. And I. this is heart-wrenching when you think about it this way. He comes out, this is just heartbreaking, because the music is building here. So the things he's saying aren't aren't coming to a conclusion. The music is just building. It's not coming to a, like, a relief moment. There's no moment at which we're supposed to feel like he's found the answer. So he says, someone show me a way to get out of here, because I constantly pray I'll get out of here. Please won't someone say I'll get out of here. Someone give me my shot or I'll rot here. Okay, when you just like read it and you're not hearing that with bop, shoe bop, shoe bop music, it does come across a little bit more bleak. The tonality of the music does go a long way in getting you tapping your toes and nodding your head and being like, this is fun. <laughs> yeah. And he's not even done. Like he still begs in the next verse, show me how, and I will, I'll get out of here. What the fuck? I'll start climbing uphill and get out of here. Someone tell me I still could get out of here. Someone tell lady luck that I'm stuck here. This is the absolute like boiled down essence of lower class living it is the belief he has that he's supposed to get out he he should get out he's working his ass off to get out and now he's just begging luck to look at him and recognize he's doing everything he's supposed to to get out of here and he cannot it is heart-wrenching to think of that and then audrey sings somewhere that's green and we see her dream and her dream is to be 
a person with a house. Like, yeah, <laughs> I want to own a home. Yeah, Shelter. It, it, it shows us that for the lower class, the dream is simply to not be stuck. And then we get Mr. Mushnik, who is our, our managerial class, our middle class, who <laughs> we see him talking about, uh, like, what does he say? <laughs> He's talking about the uh, not having any customers or whatever. And he's talking about, like, all this terrible stuff that's happening to him and how his employees suck. He steps over Seymour doing work. And in the background, uh, Audrey comes in to help Seymour with the work. So the two people doing work, he's over here lamenting that he, his workers don't work and he's not getting enough, etc. He's constantly (laughs) taking the money from the register that Seymour's plant makes. I'll tell you what, this reminds me of just how I'm seeing all these people being like, what do you mean all these servers don't want to come back and work for 214 <laughs> an hour with no benefits? Nobody wants a job no more. Nobody wanted a job in the first place. That, nobody. Nobody wants a job. People want, have a lot of stuff they want to do, and that might involve a lot of work. Guess what? They don't want to come work for you. They do it because they're in a system where they have to. And if they're going to have to, then the job they're going to do should pay them enough money to live in the system they have to live in. But it doesn't. So fuck you. You don't get employees. (laughs) I hope your business fails. (laughs) Well, there you go, man. I'll point out, too, like going back to what you were saying about um, Audrey's dream to, to own a house and stuff like that. I'm seeing more of what you're talking about because in that song... Like everything she names off is like name brand. Like she she mentions like Sears and Roebuck and Better Homes and Gardens and like all this like name brand commercial shit. Yeah, and it's it's all all we're taught, all poor people are taught is that one day you can have objects. Basically, yeah. if you work stuff. your ass off, you can have stuff. And then of course we eventually get the full on exploitation of Seymour. When uh, the entertainment industry and, you know, the, the merchandising industry, it's all, all come in trying to make money off him. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it is very much then we get at the end the spread of capitalism, the, the plant. Uh, it, this is in the, the director's cut, the original ending, not the theatrical cut. Uh, the plants taking over the world and the um final song again just drives home it's uh <laughs> they call um ev- americans basically unsuspecting jerks uh and talk about how they get sweet talked into feeding these fly traps blood and then the plants spread and work their terrible will finding other jerks who are going to feed them their fill like it, it, it's about this capitalism use, uh, using up resources, sucking up everything it can, and then moving on. Literally draining you of blood, basically. Yeah. yeah Literally yeah. Finding draining you of all you have. Anybody who's willing to feed it and bleeding them dry, literally. Yeah. So, uh, well, once when I you put saw, it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once I saw it like that, I was like, oh, this is dark and sad and also genius. Like, how Howard Ashman saw this silly little Roger Corman movie and was able to write these deep lyrics, really exploring the the 
terror of of living in poverty i mean like it, it's it's something you don't see a lot presented in a way that is also fun yeah <laughs> like how is this movie so fun still we do we just said all that and still watching it i'm like man this is a great time that's true like i can't think of any movie that features uh you know more um uh partner female abuse Plus human human sacrifice, plus chopping up bodies. um, That's more fun than this. It's really, it's really a very very unique thing to find a movie like this that does cover so much super dark, grimy, gritty territory. But you never notice it because you're sitting there in your seat going shoobop shoobop along with the music. (laughs) I think it's interesting uh, that you said like. like the Faustian bargain between yeah. the because in the original I would say that it they had like a Dracula Renfield type of relationship. Mm. And I think yeah, I think this is much more Faust for sure because uh in the first one he seems more like kind of goes crazy and gets into feeding the the plant. In this one at no point is he like fully into it, but like his reluctance doesn't matter because he's still doing it. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter how reluctant he is. He's still like the, the plant convinced him pretty easily by, uh, he said, uh, if you want to be profound, if you really got to justify, take a breath and look around. A lot of folks deserve to die. Uh, and that, that like, was enough almost and then he sees um Oren hit uh Audrey through like the shaded uh window or whatever and yeah. then he's like immediately like singing the song along with it. this song is like super upbeat like the feed me song it's like super upbeat and like the the plant starts dancing and shit it's like so crazy to see this moment where a man is being convinced to murder and being told that in fact murder is kind of how it all works, um, and he it then just like it's so upbeat, and he's and then like again when it comes to the moment where he actually like has to kill him, he's again like really nervous and everything, but he goes through with it. Like he he's always responsible. He's always the one doing this. He's not being forced in any way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. I hadn't thought about it with that capitalism kind of message until you brought it up. Like, I kind of want to rewatch the movie now with with that in mind because the more that I'm thinking about it, the more you see it. the the more <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I think that it's like um, it, it it's real. It's a real strong message. I I think you can still watch it as just you know uh, the way you see any musical is like these these are fun upbeat songs, but the moment you start paying attention to the lyrics, it's like, oh, there's so much message going on here, so much being said, and it's like it's being slipped in. It's like you you don't Mm. even recognize the things that you're you're accepting, and the moment you look at it, it's like, yeah, okay, yes, I'm with this movie, hooray, I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway. That's crazy. So, uh... Those are, those are the big things I saw in this. I mean, there's also the fun uh, S&M bit with... Uh, I mean, there's nothing fun about our sadist here, Steve Martin, except uh, yeah. he 
his dancing is hilarious and <laughs> and he's shooting puppies with a bb gun that song is so good man it is so good and it's also like every every time i'd hear that part and uh squashing the kitty cat's head it's like oh what that's gross but i'm still like it's steve martin he's still enamoring like he's got this like elvis thing going on and stuff like totally he's so good and apparently like he spent six weeks filming his stuff like he got real into the role and whatnot so that, good lord that's that's um it it really comes across because as i said like until you really pay attention to it you don't notice how all the moments are dark because yeah. it's being played so well by by you know moranis and Steve Martin and Alan Green, everybody is playing it so well as though like the upbeat songs are the world we're living in, but the world we're living in is is dark and grimy and and sad. It really makes me wonder what this would be like watching this on mute. Like if you watch this on mute with subtitles, <laughs> how different of a movie would it be? It'd probably be way fucking different. I guarantee if you yeah, if you talk to somebody with like a hearing impairment or something, they'd be like Wait a second, you love that movie? What? Is this funny? What? <laughs> Dude, those scenes in the dentist office, too, I just want to point out, like, I love that shot where he's digging around in that giant oversized mouth, and we're seeing the camera from, like, yes. the perspective of the mouth. Yeah. Fucking awesome. That and dude, really like cool. That goes along with something that I catch about the entire production in this movie, where, like we said, the special effects and everything are so fucking good they look fantastic and it's everything i mean from audrey to uh you know the this mouth shot that i'm talking about everything looks way better than it had to because ultimately this is a singing doo-wop 19 you know 50s 60s movie about a talking plant you didn't have to make it look so fucking good but they cared so much and you're dealing with so many talented people in the visual effects department that they couldn't not make it look good. I mean, these people yeah. that worked on this, there's no way they would have just flown it in and half-assed it. Um, everything looks awesome. Like, I really want to know how they did that mouth shot because it almost has, like, a really distorted perspective where he's, like, reaching in to this obviously super oversized mouth. But I don't know. Like, the visual effect is really fucking cool to me. It is. It is. This... uh may surprise you but the budget of this movie was the largest warner brothers budget up to that point that's crazy mm -hmm. and it was only 25 million but still like they they bought into this movie heavy which is i guess probably why they were so worried about the ending because you know they they bought into it so heavy they needed to make a lot of money but i also just think like and I think if you've spent that, you've already spent the money, right? Like, you already put all your trust into these people. Why not go with the thing they did? Like, you... Yeah, go with it. You trusted them up to this point. Like, maybe 20 people that you ran into and asked if they wanted to see the movie were wrong. Yeah, for real, right? I'll tell you what, too. Let's, let's talk about trust a little bit, because Frank Oz is definitely a person that has trust in everyone that he works with. And especially when you're working in, in creative endeavors with as many people as it takes to make a movie. I mean, dude, like the biggest creative endeavors I've been involved in involve maybe four or five other people right. writing a fucking song. I can't imagine having the trust in the hundreds of people that it takes to make a damn hour and a half long movie, this kind of production and stuff. But Frank Oz is clearly 
a really, really fucking gifted guy at finding people that he can trust and trusting their intuition too. Because during the filming of this movie, Frank Oz's wife was uh, very pregnant with, I believe, their first kid, if I'm not mistaken. And at some point during the filming, the the baby was ready to be born, and Frank had to leave the set to go be with his wife and deliver this kid and stuff. And he left Rick fucking Moranis in charge what? of directing shots that day. That's rad. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, he was like, I trust you, Rick. You're going to make good decisions. You run the show today. And a lot of the shots that we see in the movie that are filmed inside of the flower shop are ones that Rick Moranis, Rick Moranis himself directed, and they made it into the movie because Moranis is just a fucking badass. Yeah, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Love but it also shows you, too, like the level of trust that Frank had to know this person can get the job done. They understand my vision. That's a huge creative leap of faith and I, I really admire him when you're also i mean he's he just finished muppets take manhattan you're dealing with a ton of puppeteers and stuff like yeah i yeah i think especially you know coming from the roles he's come from where you know how many people are actually involved in making yoda work etc like you learn yeah. that People know their craft, and maybe you don't need to be the one to tell them what to do. Like, just ask them for a result, and then go with that result. Yeah, maybe that works. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. And while our, our main cast is pretty small, there are a lot of guest stars popping in and out of this movie, and they are, like, mega fucking huge. I mean, obviously Steve Martin we talked about earlier, but... You know, his number one patient there is fucking Bill Murray. Yeah. And Bill, everything Bill Murray says in that uh, dentist chair is improv. <laughs> I absolutely believe that. It's so funny. He, man, <laughs> he is so He's funny. so giddy to get that dental work done, man. He's like turned on for it. And this is a, this is, this role was in the 1960. It wasn't in the, the musical, but it was in the 1961 and it was played by Jack Nicholson and he does a great job uh, playing this dental patient as well. Uh, wow. I definitely recommend, even if you're not going to watch the movie, watch that scene. It's, it's good. Okay. But I, I did not know this connection. So Jack Nicholson originally played the dental patient. The mm -hmm. tools used in the dentist scene were then used in Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, like in... Uh-huh. Yeah, they used some of the, the set and tools for the, the dentist stuff for, for Batman for the surgery scene. Whoa. That's yeah. some full circle shit. That's yeah, awesome. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so How we got... Cool we got that? They, we got that uh, Bill Murray. We also have Christopher Guest stopping in as a I really didn't even weird customer. Him. Yeah, he's so like strange and like his his acting and his voice and stuff is really like put on and artificial. Yeah, I didn't even recognize that it was him. Yeah, and that that was a Frank Oz thing. He wanted like each take, he wanted him to be more artificial and more weird, which makes you then like question. Okay, so Frank Oz wanted him to do this. Or is this man perhaps working with the aliens? Oh, because you know. Uh, maybe he saw Seymour buy the plant and he comes in and he supplies them with a hundred dollars, gets them to display the plant, helps to raise the plant up so that it can then take over the earth. I had not considered that. So I don't know. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I know that Frank Oz was definitely asking him to act more and more fake for each, each uh, each, uh, take. So I think, I think hmm. that might've been what they were going for because he doesn't appear again. 
Old Nigel Tufnell himself. He's just there and gone, huh? But we've also got, like, Jim Belushi is in here later on in the movie. He's Yeah, in the theatrical edition. In the uh, director's cut, we have Paul Dooley, who plays the same role, but he wasn't available when they reshot for the theatrical, and that meant they brought in Jim Belushi somehow? All right. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All, right. All right, then. But yeah, and then John Candy, which is always awesome to see John Candy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's like the radio DJ guy. Yeah. And I love that scene, too, because the way that Rick Moranis plays it, like, like he, he gets so invested in everything that Wink is saying that, like, even though Wink is saying that, like, there's a guy coming in and he's shooting him with a machine gun and stuff, like, Rick Moranis is in the room, but he's reacting like it's happening. <laughs> yeah. His face is like, <laughs> oh, no, what? Like, he's watching it in front of him. It's just, I love how much they play up his innocence early on that then, like, con- contrasts, like, you know, how he's going down this route to to get success and to get Audrey, etc., yeah, he's a fucking treasure. He's absolutely awesome. And really, I, I can't think of anybody else in this movie that I could see being played by someone else or, you know, saying they could have done a better job. I think that just top top to bottom, everybody in this is exactly the right person for the job. So you're excited for the, the remake that they announced, right? I did not know this is a thing. What the fuck is going on here? I don't know how to feel about this, Ben, but... Um... Remake has been announced and then also has been put on hiatus, but one of the people involved in the remake is is really trying to push for it. So it would star uh, Taron Egerton as as Seymour. Who's that? Uh, well, he was uh, he was in The Kingsman and he was Elton John and, and Rocket Man recently. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I mean, you know, you got somebody with a, a singing background. Okay. Yeah, and he he's, he's kind of a smaller guy, and I could I could see yeah. it, it working. Then uh, Scarlett Johansson as Audrey. Mm, I mean, don't be wrong. I love Scarlett Johansson, but like Audrey needs to be like spacey and weird. Yeah. I think she can do that, but also like, can she sing? I didn't, I don't, I don't think, think I, so. Maybe I saw her singing something and she wasn't great. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and then as a dentist, Chris Evans. Now I know Chris Evans can do mm. comedy. Um, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I don't just don't like, know that we need this. This is I one of those, again, like all these other remakes where we're like, do we need this? Does this need to be updated in any way? Could this, this be better? This itself is a remake, no. technically, yeah. I guess. But And if you watch the original story, pretty similar. They cut like the detective angle and stuff and changed it up a little bit. But it's a remake. But... I, I yeah I don't see the value of a remake of this like it this no. seems like because Howard Ashman was he wrote the screenplay for this he was directly involved with this it was his musical like if you're gonna make a remake uh I I, I don't know it, it just seems to me if you if you are though you go for people who can sing maybe you can have your big movie stars do some cameos like you have here but the the main two people should be you know, a, a a guy like Rick Moranis and a, a woman like Ellen Green. Like, I, I don't know. It, but I, it's been so long since this movie came out. Might as well. And maybe it'll be great. I'll watch it. I won't have a problem watching it. I just don't understand exactly why you don't go for something more original. Just make an original movie. We don't need 
a remake of a movie that's already awesome. Yeah, no, and plus you know they'll fucking phone it in on the special effects and do it all CG and it'll be stupid. Yeah, yeah, that's highly likely. I can't, yeah, I just can't see them going for a puppet, but who knows, they might do the If they did the puppet, I do like Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. I, I, I'd watch it. I could see it being good and, and, and would absolutely love for it to be good. So who knows? But it is currently in uh, like indefinitely shelved because, you know, they had announced it be- early before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and, you know, a ton of stuff fell apart because of that. So hmm. who knows if All it'll right. ever happen? We'll see what happens with it, man. But I just don't know if it could get better than this. Like, I don't know that there is a, a version of this story that could be improved, whether that be visually, musically, special effects, casting. Like, I I honestly am struggling to think of anything that would make this better. Because also, too, unlike a lot of musicals, which are like, hey, do you have an entire afternoon free to watch this musical? <laughs> right. This thing's even short. Yeah, it is. It, it's quick. Uh, even with the longer ending, it's still only an hour 34, I think. So, uh, yeah. I, I love that. I love when a musical gets in and out and is super effective in, in its songs and that also the songs feel natural. Like, yeah. make the, you have to kind of make the world absurd, I think, to for the songs to feel natural. But when you have that and then when you have just absolutely amazing lyricism and, like, Howard Minkin's music, too, like, as I said about the downtown song, like, that song only builds, really. And yeah. it, it establishes the, like, tense feeling of Skid Row. Like, it establishes exactly how we're supposed to feel about the the characters in this world. Like, what they have against them and how hard this really is. Every song in this. Like, there's no song in this that I think is, is weak. No. Well, the songs, too, are, like, strong enough that, you know, like I said, Kate and I haven't watched this in years. Like... I think since the first time that I watched it, whenever that that Inception year was that I was talking about, uh, I haven't watched it since then. And yet, while we were watching this movie at the beach, I was like singing the words to the songs. Yeah. Like I was singing You'll Be a Dentist and shit like that. And Kate's like... No success. That song is so good. And she's like, how do you remember these songs? And I'm like, I don't know, honestly. Like, I don't know why I heard these songs once and they stuck in my head. Uh, because like I said, I'm not really into musicals. I don't listen to the soundtrack of this thing, but for some reason they were just so put together. Um, they were put together so well and so memorable and so stupid that I remembered them, even though I've only heard them literally once. Uh, that should really tell you something about how, how good this thing is, man. It's fantastic. Honestly, like I, I can't really complain about much. I mean, I could say, like, oh, I wish there was more, like, you know, gore on screen, but I don't even think that would make the movie better. No. No, I didn't, I, like, you know, the the dentist scene was supposed to be a lot bloodier. Uh, they had to reshoot it because the, 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 um, they did, like, a screening of, again, a, a screen test didn't do well because they thought you know, it was too bloody. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I personally like though how the dentist set looks in this version, where like the the entire Skid Row area looks so like scummy and grimy and stuff. But then the dentist office has this like artificially pristine white, like it feels like it feels like everything is backlit or something. It yeah. almost feels like artificially clean. It feels like the um, 
the hotel room in um, that guy at the last segment of Creep Show that lives up there oh, with the cockroaches yeah, and yeah. stuff. Uh-huh. It's just stark white everywhere. Yes. Like, I like the fact that the dentist office has this surreal, uh, oddly, you know, clean feel to it like that. But I would like to see the original and see how grimy it looked. I mean, we 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 skipped one person in the cast that I think we should go back to real quick. Levi okay. Stubbs. Audrey, too. Oh, man. The voice is just fucking amazing, dude. Yes. So great. He uh, Levi Stubbs is from The Four Tops. He also voiced Mother Brain on that uh, Captain N uh, show that, that was like Saturday morning Nintendo show. Do you remember this? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Levi Stubbs just Holy shit. kills it. In it. Yeah, it's easy to ignore that performance because it's not a person on screen, but... Oh, man, there's just so much expressiveness in that voice. And, and again, the way the animatronics and stuff synced up to it just makes it even more believable and even more perfect that you don't even think to yourself, this is a person's voice that has been dubbed onto this plant. Like, yeah. it just seems like, it just oh, this is perfect. that plant's yeah. voice. Yeah. yeah. It really, really does, man. Yeah, that's that's definitely a performance worth noting uh, among many others in this flick, dude. Yeah, everybody's it's, doing great. It's really, really fantastic. And, and again, it is fun that you can watch it from multiple different angles. Like, I wasn't really watching it with any kind of ulterior motive in mind. I was just watching it as, you know, oh, yeah, killer plant movie, whatever. Yeah. And I still had a really good time. But now I can see all the capitalist messages and stuff that you're talking about in there. And that makes it cool to watch it from that lens too yeah kill a killer plant movie you just got a sort of absurdist comedy which is still fun i loved it as a kid uh if it's an anti-capitalist movie then it's uh uh dark and you still love it <laughs> i still love the music i still love every minute of it i just love this movie and like i've already tipped my hand as the my score on it i'm sure <laughs> i love yeah, this dude do you have any other final thoughts or complaints or anything about this? I, I don't think I really I have, have zero complain complaints. About. Yeah, I, no. I, don't, I don't have anything to complain about. I, I like, you know, sometimes we see something and it, it's like, you know, if they had just gone this way, if they had just figured this out, like this could have been better. But I, I see this as just a, a piece of art that needs to be experienced. And I cannot believe they that the people in charge changed it when they did and they shouldn't have. And if you see the director's cut, I, I think the director's cut is superior in every way. So with all that stuff in mind, what's your final, uh, final rating you're going to slap on this thing there? Um, uh, remember when Christopher guest walked, walked in at that one point mm -hmm. that gave me license. Yep. That gave me license to do this. 11. Oh my God. It goes to 11. It goes to 11. These, these ratings, when it comes to Little Shop of Horrors, go to 11. I love this movie. I will always love this movie. Can't believe I grew up uh, only knowing the theatrical edition and loving it. And now knowing the director's cut, love it even more. I think every performance is great. I think the message is great. I think Howard Ashman was an absolute fucking genius. And it's a shame we lost him to HIV. Again, fuck Reagan. Uh, I mean, you know, absolutely for always. I, I yeah I have no zero complaints about this movie and it has everything I love so this this to me is is a, a ten AK eleven <laughs> suddenly Steven I'll tell you what man I I can't disagree with you at all <laughs> awesome yeah like I can't think of anything that would make this better it's it's probably gonna 
Probably going to get that rare double dime from you and I, man. Double dime. Double dime, the 20 center. Yeah, man. I, I can't complain about anything. I That's mean, as awesome. I've said, it's like it's all just done so fucking well. And I look forward to hearing what you guys think about this flick as well over on the Facebook group or our Instagram or our Patreon, many places where you can Twitter, find us. we're all over the place. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely. As Ben said, we have a great group over there. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, we're at dead lovely pod. Also, Patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Get over there. You become a patron on any level. You get access to TV test pilots where uh, Ben and I recommend shows to each other. And then we watch the first episode and decide whether or not we would continue watching that show. So far, we've done some awesome stuff. I actually watched a couple more episodes of Raised by Wolves. I'm still into it. Um, I, I got my issues with it, but I'm also interested. Uh, All right. <laughs> also, also. And most importantly, the screaming chat on Friday nights. Uh, we got a lovely family of people over there. I absolutely love them all. It is so much fun. If you've got Friday nights completely free, or if you, d- you don't have any other plans, or you just really want to talk to some people, uh, head on over on Friday nights. We watch The Last Drive-In and we chat on Discord. Uh, and when the last drive-in's over, we watch movies off of YouTube, and we chat on Discord, and it's always a great time. There you go. Many ways that you can enjoy us even more than you already do. If you get a kick out of the show and want to help us out and not spend a penny, be sure to go rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where you can review a podcast. Helps us out a lot. Helps us show up on those searches. And uh, get found out by more people. So tell your friends, tell your wife, tell your kids, rate and review. <laughs> They're rating everybody up in here. I uh, One other thing <laughs> I I completely forgot about uh, until just now and has to be said. Uh, Jack of All Graves, they, uh, uh, I think monthly, do a watch along. And this Saturday, they are watching 13 Ghosts and chatting about it on Discord. Saturday, I believe it's at 3... I will check and maybe correct that if I am incorrect. Uh, the Jack of All Graves uh, uh, watch along is, is a blast too. A lot of people from the Friday Night Screaming chat join in that. So if uh, this Saturday you want to uh, drink some beers and uh, or whatever it is you drink or not drink anything and watch 13 Ghosts, come along and do it with us. There you go, man. You can be one of those people that just eat stuff and don't drink nothing. That's true. Th- those people who are like, uh-huh. there's enough oh, moisture in this bread. <laughs> I don't need water. <laughs> so be sure to hang out with us over on all those things. And Steve, next week's episode is indeed one of those very Patreon picks that you've mentioned, isn't it? It is. And if you want to know what it is, check out the video that I'll post on our social media and YouTube on Thursday. That is tomorrow. Oh, yeah. That's right. You got to find out somehow. You might as well find out on the YouTube or any of them other social medias. Ain't nobody stopping you. It don't cost you a dime. Ain't nobody stopping you. So check it out. Uh, I'm excited about this one because I've not seen it. it yeah. I uh, And I don't want to tip my hand, but it's been in the bowl for a, a long while. And somebody's going to be very happy that it got drawn. That's right. That's right. So be sure to tune in next time when we'll be talking about that one. In the meantime, everybody out there, keep on living the dream, keeping it real, all that good stuff. Hope everybody's doing well. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I've been Uncle Ben. I've been Hollywood Steve. We've been dead lovely, and we'll catch you guys next time. Hopefully, we'll be 
in person playing footsie under the table. Ooh. I hope so, too. That's right. Catch you guys then. All right, Ben, I'm going to pitch you a little movie that a friend of mine and I came up with in, in like 2002, I believe. Um, and the title is Running Back. Running Back. Okay, you're pitching. I'm catching. I'm listening. Hear me out. Bo Jackson okay, plays yeah. an athlete. Maybe his name's Jack Boson. Who knows? Plays an athlete who got caught up in gambling and now he owes a bunch of money to some mobsters. All right, so we've got Joe Baxson, and he's all mixed up with the mob. Got it. I'm yeah. following you. So, to escape the mob, he runs back to his hometown, where Love he it. becomes a high school teacher. I think <laughs> this is like a Bon Jovi song. It's got to be. It's got to be. Okay, so he becomes a high school teacher. Now. Yeah. Very important. At the high school, the music teacher is played by Moby. Now, do you remember Moby and Eminem had beef in the Oh yeah, they did, didn't they? I'll tell you what though, Moby did not have beef. He's a vegan. It's true. He never had beef. He had nope. tofurkey, maybe. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so Moby is the music teacher and his name is Rapidy Skittle. Wow, this is good. This is really good so far. Rapidy Skittles, I yeah. got it. So, of course, uh, Joe Baxson, <laughs> Joe Baxson uh, starts up with his old high school flame, who also happens to teach at the school, only to find out they already have a son, and he's in his class. Yes, Whoa! yes, this is good. I like this. So, running back. And we also planned out the uh, uh, series, or not series finale, but the first season finale, when, of course, he gets uh, found by the, the mafia, and, uh, and uh, we were going to cast Martin Lawrence as the head of the mafia, and uh -huh. he was going to confront him, and then Joe Baxson, of course, would give his inspirational speech about how he's changed and he's got the money. And then Martin was gonna, of course, be like, mean, but like, okay. And then his old line from Martin, he was gonna say, get to step. <laughs> it was gonna be awesome. It was gonna be I the like best. I like this. I don't know if it would work Bo now. Bo knows movies. <laughs> Bo, well, no, this was a show. We were, we were hoping this would last for like six seasons. All right, excuse me. Bono's shows. Bono's shows. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was also a time period in Bo Jackson's life where he started playing music and did a collaboration with U2 and it was Bono's Bono. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I think, of course, you could have a commercial where somebody was, not a commercial, but just something where somebody was dissing on Bo's collaboration with you 2 and they would say, oh no, Bo knows Bono. <laughs> That's the variety headline. That's it. That's good. Boom. <laughs> brought to you by the same people that brought you Jacko on his backo. <laughs> <laughs> the hits just keep coming. They do. <laughs>
Trademark dead and lovely. You're welcome. <laughs>